G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. It's funny because during the time that I was making the decision, yeah, mum was like, yep, I'll support whatever you want to do and, you know, whatever decision you make is the right one for you and, and she offered to drive me and I just always assumed that meant that she thought it was a good idea. And it wasn't until I got involved with the organisation that I'm a part of now, Emily's Voice, and started talking about this that she sort of said, yeah, actually, I've never thought abortion was a good idea. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, our guest is Madeline Wiedemann, who says she has a burning feeling inside that someone is missing. As an 18-year-old, she made the decision to have an abortion, a decision that still haunts her to this day. She's now a pro-life advocate and desires to let others know the lessons she's learned from her experiences. Madeline is chatting with Shelley Scullin. Madeline, can you tell us the story of... Um I guess the decision that you had to make as an 18-year-old. Yeah, um, it's, I guess it's a complex issue and it's always hard to break down into, mm. into simple ideas. But basically, I just was a girl who thought she was in love with a boy and ended up in a situation I wasn't planning for. And out of the shock of the situation, I guess I kind of remember it as just being this feeling of total overdrive, like, this, you know, I can't do this and I'm not capable and all these words of people about, you know, you're wrecking your life and, yeah. you know, teenage pregnancies are terrible, just clamoured in on me and, and I ended up having an abortion. So, yeah, the feeling that someone's missing is actually one that's grown on me, I guess, probably since having kids, actually, um, even more, because the more kids I have, the more I have this feeling like well, there's got to be another one. And then I find myself thinking again, well, actually, there is another one, just one I don't have anymore. Mm. Yeah, and there's there's so much surrounding all of that, the grief and the having to forgive yourself and everything too, which mm. we'll explore a little bit later. But as an 18-year-old, you were a high achiever. You had everything going for you. You went to yeah. a private girls' school. Everything was looking good. So it probably wouldn't have been a good reflection on you to have been you know, a teenage mum. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think that I certainly bought into that, you know, idea that yeah. uh, that you know, private school girls who are in the top five percent of academics don't have babies. To yeah. me, the two things just seem so incompatible um, that I would, you know, spend the first year out of school having a baby just didn't, you know, didn't fit in the life plan, didn't fit in the scenario. Yeah, and I guess you know the media probably has a lot to blame for that in a sense as well um, because to me the only media portrayals of pregnant teenagers were very, you know, low socioeconomic um, and portrayed as kind of these 
people who were no-hopers. And so to me, I couldn't fit myself in that frame of reference, nor is it a true reference of those people either, Um, you know, a true representation, sorry. I think Um, there's also this perception too that your life is over once you have kids, you know, that um, you can't possibly achieve any of your dreams if you have a baby and so you're doomed forever if you have a baby as a teenager. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that that all sort of just pressed in on my mind and and it seemed, well, and also the, the people that I discussed the idea with either said, oh, you know, we'll support you, whatever you decide, Mm -hmm. which left me having to make the decision myself, or they said, oh, well, it's obvious what you'd do, Um, which meant obviously you'd have an abortion. And so I I really didn't hear anybody on the other side, and I guess in that sense it was like, to me, it just seemed like the only... um, The only choice, which is so funny, because of all the language of choice around it, yes, of course I did have other choices, but they were neither explored with me nor encouraged. Mm. So they, they weren't really choices, to be honest. Yeah. I think we probably should stop to clarify here too that having a baby out of wedlock is not God's plan for families. It's not the way that he designed it. And for so many reasons, as we see all throughout the Bible. But for you, once you were pregnant, it's not God's plan to go and um, abort that baby as well. You know, he, he is all about loving the life that he has given. Mm. Uh, so, as you say, you th- you thought you were making a well-informed decision at the time, but it was as it was progressing, you started to realise how much you actually didn't know about mm. what was going on. Yeah, look, that probably all caved in on me later, particularly the big, the big um, game changer for me in terms of how well-informed I was, was um, I studied anatomy and physiology at uni and... Um, you know, they teach you all about the biology of babies, which, to be honest, I'd probably done in high school, but not in depth, you know. Mm. And, um, oh, yeah, I can remember sort of sitting there one day in uni and looking at these pictures of a baby and it suddenly clicking that what I was looking at was a baby at eight weeks in utero mm. and then remembering very clearly being told in the abortion clinic because I was very nervous and I was like, you know, am I making a bad decision? And and you have this sort of inverted commas counselling session beforehand and um, the lady basically, the counselling is just, it's fine, don't worry about it, you know, it'll be fine or it was for me. And um, and then I said, you know, is it going to hurt it? Is it a baby? And she said, oh, it's not a baby, don't even worry, it's just a ball of cells and she showed me her fingernail and I can remember vividly her saying, it's less than the size of half your little fingernail. And so I sat in this classroom in anatomy and physiology and was like, hey, it's not a ball of cells, or it is, but a very humanoid-looking one. Mm. B, it's a lot bigger than half of my fingernail. And it, and it suddenly clattered in on me, well, if that wasn't true, what else wasn't true? You know, like, if the very, you know, because I'd asked this clarifying question sort of as a cry for help, like, what's going on here? Give me some frame of reference. And so from that point on, it became a kind of a journey of exploration because I was like, well, what else isn't true? What else do they not tell you and why? And I think that's the biggest thing surrounding abortion is just that lack of education. I know when I was at high school, we weren't given a lot of these details as well. And I do wonder whether it was kind of purposely hidden from us of just how quickly the baby develops. You know, the the heartbeat comes, is it four weeks or six weeks gestation thereabouts? It depends on the baby, but like it's really early. Look, I think that 
yeah, I think both sides like to clarify this issue one way or the other. Mm. Um, I think the reality is, I think that it, a lot of it's clouded for well-meaning reasons. Um, I think that people who really passionately believe in abortion as a, as a woman's right really focus on the fact that it's distressing for a person in a situation of crisis pregnancy to focus too much on the baby, which if abortion is a good idea is true. You know, it is distressing to think this is a baby and it's beautiful and of course that's going to make the decision more difficult. But what what I would say is, yes, but it makes the decision more honest. Um, It makes the decision more real. And if that decision then causes you to make a sacrificial decision to keep the baby, then that's a good thing. Um, so I guess what was hard for me was this sense that they'd already made the decision for me. So they yeah. decide, you know, because the counselling practice in, in Australia is if a woman is in a crisis pregnancy situation, she doesn't need to be informed of everything. It's the only um, medical procedure in Australia that doesn't really have informed consent. It has this sort of different version of informed consent because of this perception that it's very distressing for a woman to know it all and it'd be better for her to be able to make it without all of that clouding her judgment. Mm. But it just the way that you're saying that it just sounds so illogical to me like you know the hurt that then the, these women go on to experience once they do find out the facts like you yourself are saying you know you broke down in tears in university once you found out what you had actually done mm. uh, because at, up until that point you really had no reason to realize or no reason to think that abortion was actually wrong because you weren't given those facts. And I mean, it's easy for us to stick our heads in the sand and say, well, if we just don't tell them, then it's not really wrong. But really, we really need to be telling women the honest truth about what's actually going on in their bodies so that they can make a truly informed choice. Yeah. And look, we've got to fight it on a balanced playing field. That's the difficult thing is, you know, Sometimes we, um, and you know, I was even saying before, I don't particularly like being labelled pro-life because it comes with so much baggage. And often people in the name of pro-life have said, you know, well, we should give people all the informed consent. We could, should tell them how awful abortion is and how you know, damaging it is to everyone. The reality is there seem to be a lot of women, and I say seem, there appear to be a lot of women who don't present with issues afterwards. But despite that, there's a lot of issues that recur whether people are aware of them or not. Um, Mm. So a lot of statistics have shown that women are much more likely to engage in damaging behaviour, much more likely to be suicidal, much more likely um, to have to to go on antidepressant medication after they've had an abortion. Um, but, But it's like we all have to be prepared to be open about it. I think that's the real challenge at the moment for for people who are engaged in the pro-life issue is like, okay, well, if we want the other side to be really open and and honest, we've got to be really open and honest. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we've often been afraid to do in the church is like come out and just say, yep, yeah, this has been hard for us and, and we're brokenhearted and we've made bad decisions, you know. Um, it's, but it's hard. <laughs> You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Madeline Wiedemann, who is an advocate for the unborn. As we've been hearing, Madeline knows from personal experience the pain of abortion. Next, we'll hear more of her story and how there were people in her life that could have spoken up and helped her to decide not to have an abortion. And yet, they didn't for various reasons. We'll find out why when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, pro-life advocate Madeline Wiedemann is sharing her story. Madeline was 18 years old when she made the decision to have an abortion. She is currently married with three children but still has an overwhelming feeling that someone is missing from her life. Now, here's more of the conversation with Shelley Scowen. Madeline, you've also found out about some of the stories of the people around you who really could have spoken up and encouraged you in the pro-life direction, but for various reasons, didn't. And of course, I'm sure you wish that uh, one of them had have said something to you. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about your mum and her story. Yeah, mum mum had a baby uh, at full term just before me, before she had me. But it died basically because of complications uh, in her birthing and Mm -hmm. basically because of the doctor's uh, choices. Um, And it's funny, even talking to my dad now, he told me a story about something that happened in that time just yesterday and, you know, tears were welling up in his eyes and it's still massively painful. Mm. Um, And yet as a young woman, I I sort of vaguely knew about the situation but I didn't really know about what had happened or how they really felt about it. Um, and and mum had, from that point, become very passionate about the unborn, which I had no idea about um, until a couple of years ago, actually. And, um, yeah, it's funny because during the time that I was making the decision, yeah, mum was like, yep, I'll support whatever you want to do and, you know, whatever decision you make is the right one for you. And And she offered to drive me seven hours to get the procedure and pay for anaesthetic and so she was overly and abundantly helpful and I just always assumed that meant that she thought it was a good idea Um, and it wasn't until I got involved with the organisation that I'm a part of now, Emily's voice, and started talking about this that she sort of said, yeah, actually I've never thought abortion was a good idea. I remember being like, that doesn't even make any sense, like you were my number one advocate when I was having it and Mm -hmm. she's like, oh no, I wasn't, I just... You know, I didn't feel like I should say anything. Um, I wanted to just support you, and I and I know it's not helpful for people to say anything. And um, st- to be honest, even talking about it now, it still doesn't really make any sense to me how, like, how that is is a kind of an answer with integrity. But but talking to her more and more, I just realised the cultural pressure that it's that we've made it inappropriate to think that abortion is not a good idea. Or to mm. talk about it. Yeah, because um, if you say something, then you, you're perceived as judgmental. Yeah, well, it, this idea that it's not, it's not appropriate or it's not, yeah, it is purely judgmental to have an opinion. Yeah, um, and it's not your body, so you're not allowed to have an opinion because it's someone else's body. Yeah, exactly, and, and which just sort of doesn't make any sense, uh, really, because we have opinions about everything else. So the idea that we wouldn't have an opinion about that... Exactly. Um, and I guess for me, the idea that she would verbally not have an opinion, but then in action support the other, just just didn't have integrity to me. Um, and I guess the more and more we've talked about it, the more she's been upset about it. You know, she's realised that she doesn't. She wished she could go back as well, <laughs> even though she doesn't have the Christian framework. I'm still not a Christian, um, but she. 
she still feels that it, she wasn't true to herself, that she really just swallowed what was being said around her and, and had this internal struggle and then and didn't end up saying anything and so now joins me grieving, you know, for a lost grandchild. Mm. Yeah, it's so difficult um, in so many respects. And you mentioned your dad as well. He's also in pain over your sibling that you lost. Mm, uh, Brianna, her name was. Brianna. What a lovely name. Mm. Um. Tell us about your dad's story. Yeah, well, dad, I mean, obviously still suffers that that grief and, and had this sense of, you know, a love for an unborn baby. But also he, um, I have another sister, a half-sister, Sarah, who's a very good friend of mine. And um, she, he had her when he was 19 with a girl and they had her adopted out. And, um, yeah, it's interesting because you know, talking to him about his story and just the regrets he had um, about not, you know, well, not not keeping her, but he just talked about, you know, wishing that he could know she was okay and know she was safe, this deep sense of connectivity from from just this little baby he, you know, only saw once really, um, and from what I know. And I guess I, I wish that I'd known more, more about that as an 18-year-old because... The difference between his story and mine is is stark in that when he, you know, got got able to, I guess, emotionally, he then reconnected with her, and she wanted to reconnect with him, and and she became part of all of our lives again. But mm-hmm. I don't have that option, yeah. um, and so I'm always intrigued at all the conversation about people talk about how traumatic adoption is, and look, I get, I can see that, you know, in dad, and yet. There's a redemptive quality about adoption because, you know, when situation changes and when people are able to move through their grief, there often are these wonderful stories of reconnection. Mm. Um, and yet I, uh, that's not an option open to me because of the choices I made. Yeah. And so even though it probably was true for me as an 18-year-old that it would have been extremely traumatic um, to have an, an adoption process, it, it was a trauma that could have then been redeemed later on. Yeah, because it went on to be traumatic for you as a you know twenty something year old in university and realizing that you wouldn't get this opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And and look, I continue to have that realization. You know, I'll connect with a girl and then I'll suddenly think, oh, you're the age my daughter would have been. Um, and so, and but she's not out there. Whereas Dad always had this sense, like, oh, there's this there was this girl out there, and and he hoped that she was safe. Mm. And but then finally found out, oh, she is. Whereas I hope, and then I'm like, oh, she's not. Yeah. <laughs> and um, let alone the joy that he has then brought to the people that adopted that a daughter as well, mm. and the way that um, it's changed their lives as well. So, which is the most incredible story and, yeah. and a wonderful one. I mean, she was adopted into a family of missionaries who had four sons and really wanted a daughter, and oh. so she was the daughter they couldn't have. Wow. Um, and yeah, just beautiful family. Um, <laughs> and so. Yeah, you look at that and you think, oh, out of that trauma and, and their unplanned life became this, this source of joy and love. So, yeah, I'm all, I, I do often lament. It, if I could go back, I think I probably would adopt um, out, even though perhaps that that's a naive thing to say, but I hope I could convince myself that it would be good for somebody else. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been well proven that decision-making abilities only fully develop when you're about 24, 25-ish years old. So you don't, even, <laughs> you don't actually physically have 
um, all the synapses and stuff in place in your brain at, as a teenager. So that could be even some of it. But obviously there's so many complex issues around it. Mm. To finish that bit up then, why do you think your dad never actually said anything to you? Look, I think my dad is still very sad <laughs> about it and I, I think he just thought, well, how's that going to help? You know, how's it going to help to talk about my regrets and, and my failures? Um, and look, my dad and I weren't very close at that time in my life either. Um, so I think that there, for him to talk about that, you know, deeply painful and intimate stuff probably required us being better friends. Um, but, I, but I do think it required us, it required of him that, you know, just all that willingness to share things that were really deep and painful. Mm. Um, and I think as a society, we're not very good at sharing deep and painful things unless we see a purpose for it. Yeah. And I, I don't think he saw a purpose in it. It was like, well, what difference is gonna, that going to make? And mm. I didn't really let him in at the time, in the decision-making time either. Um, and so I think he felt like, well, you know, how do I have a right as a father to say anything? Um, you know, that's not my role. And yet I wish so much it, it had been, that he'd been able to share his story rather than just, you know, sure, I didn't want him to, you know, rampage in and lock me to the door and say, you can't do this, mm. which he wouldn't have done anyway. But but I did want him to come in and say, well, look, this is my story, this is my experience, and, and I'm so glad I kept that baby. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it could have changed your ultimate decision, but uh, he he didn't end up having that conversation with you. There are other people that really could have spoken up and helped you in your decision-making process. Mm. Uh, it's, it's kind of a sad story, really, to think that all these people had great reasons to speak into your life, and yet they didn't um, yep. for various reasons. And I think it's good encouragement for us to not be put off by any of these reasons, to, yep. to know the difference that we can make. Madeline, it's been a privilege to chat with you this morning. Thank you for being so transparent and sharing some of your feelings with us. Uh, it's a topic that a lot of people don't talk about, and I think it's important for us to talk about some of these issues and what it's been like for you going through this whole journey. And it's helped us get inside the head of women who are in that spot right now and making those decisions. Thank you so much for your insight this morning. Yeah, thank you for letting me share with you and I guess I just want to thank the other people in my life for allowing me to talk about it too. Mm. Um, I think that's the other thing is it's not just my vulnerability. Uh, I guess I'm glad for all those people being willing for me to talk about it too. Absolutely. They are very much part of the story. Mm. Thanks so much, Madeline. All right. Thanks. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Madeline Wiedemann, who is an advocate for the unborn. And we appreciate her honesty in sharing openly about her experiences with the hope that others can learn from what she and those around her have gone through. To learn more about the topic of abortion and read similar stories of Madeline's, a helpful website is emilysvoice.com. That's emilysvoice.com. Well, thanks for joining us for Madeline's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story... If you're hauling that cross out around there, I mean, there's people who do three trips around the roundabout to keep looking at it, you know. I mean, it's just marvellous being out there and being able to reach out to them people that are, are really desperately in need, especially these days, the way things are, you know, the way the world's going and everything like that. People are at a point of really, really becoming desperate. 
Well, the Bible tells us that we should take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And for Graham Heffernan, he did this literally for two months in 2014 while travelling to various parts of Queensland sharing the gospel. We'll find out his story and about his adventures next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.